the story of two dental hygienists from opposite sides of the world who became friends because they realized their professional lives were so in sync. One in Australia and one in America, both exuding their high passion for high-level patient care, both pushing back on legacy dentistry. If you are ready to revolutionize the practice of dental hygiene through science and innovation, join us as we are Disrupting Dentistry. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. If you're new here, welcome. If you are a disruptor, welcome back. We actually also get to welcome back a guest today. But before we dive into that, I am your American Dental Hygiene host, Melissa. And I'm your Australian Dental Hygiene host, Tabitha. And we're really excited to have Dr. Melanie Hayes back with us today. Some of you may have already listened to her original episode and for those of you who haven't, go back and listen to it, obviously. But just a little quick introduction for those who may not know who she is. I don't know who you are, though, if you don't know who she is. She's an after-registered Seriously. with a passion for empowering dental professionals to seek alternative career paths. She's got a PhD and a Master's in Education, majoring in career development. And she also is the director of the BOH program at Sydney University. She's held roles as president and CEO of the Dental Hygiene Association. She's an international speaker. She has pages of published papers, which, you know, we can give you all the notes. And she really does a lot to help people with looking outside of the box of not just having to do clinical hygiene or clinical OHT and having lots of different other career options. So welcome back, Mel. Thank you so much. No, thank you. And I must say, every time I feel a little bit down about myself, I should just play that back and um, yes. listen to it again. <laughs> I'm doing okay. <laughs> so we wanted to have Mel back because she's obviously progressed in her career since we spoke to her last She's had a promotion, um, she's changed roles, and she started a business. So, you know, lots have been going on. And she got married as well. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, so she's been really, really busy, and I wanted to talk about what she's doing with her business, and then we'll go from there. So tell us a little bit about the business that you started. Yeah, so I guess stemming on from, you know, some of the stuff we talked about last time I was in the podcast around career development it's just something people reach out to me about all the time. And I think it's because, you know, I've had quite a diverse career myself. Um, it's been an interest of mine to try and educate students about the career possibilities for people in our profession. Um, and when I did my master's in education, I decided to major in career development, which is a little bit odd for someone in the dental profession, but something I was interested in. Um, and so people reach out to me all the time with, wanting advice, wanting to know where they can find resources. Um, so, yeah, I, I started up a, a little support service. Uh, it's called Next Step Dental Careers. Um, and really the aim of it is just to support dental professionals looking to develop their careers, whatever it might be. Um, so in my experience and, you know, as a program director, you know, I'm responsible for, you know, curriculum that goes out to our um, students but I don't know that our dental schools or our universities or our colleges really prepare graduates that well for opportunities outside of clinical practice. They do a great job at preparing them for, for a practice, um, but not necessarily other career paths. So that's why I sort of, yeah, started this, this support service. I have to agree because I saw, 
um, someone on Instagram the other day, they wrote their top 20 um, pros and cons list for being a dental hygienist. And in the cons list, they had written, um, there's no career outside of the surgery. And I actually replied yeah. and said, you're only limited by what you limit yourself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think one of those reasons why a lot of um, people do limit themselves is because we don't have big discussions about the opportunities there. So um, they don't really, they're not aware themselves that there are lots of other directions that you can go in or, or paths that you could take take with that. And I think people just think, oh, God, I don't want to be an academic, so obviously there's nothing to do. Yeah. Like they're the two options. I think people really get stuck with it's, oh, it's education or this. Um, so what do you think, do you think that's the biggest thing people come to you about thinking, I just don't know what I can do? Yeah, it's that they don't know. Or then as awareness is starting to increase, it's like, I don't know how to get there. So, mm-hmm. um, definitely I think, yeah, not knowing is a big one. The obvious path, like you said, is to get into education because, you know, they can see other hygienists and dental professionals moving into that space. But I think it's the other areas. So like going into business or going into industry or going into research and they don't see it. So they don't realize that that's something that they can pursue themselves. Um, So a big part of what I've been trying to do, um, even before I started Next Step Dental Careers, um, I would write a regular column for our dental hygienist magazine here in Australia, showcasing people that are doing different things, because I think people can't be what they can't see. And so you need to be able to see what people in our profession are doing so that you know that the options are out there. Um, But then I think you also need some support to know, well, how do I navigate my way there? Um, Having done a little bit of research on academic career paths, there can be a bit of a misconception that it's, you know, who you know, not what you know, and, and things like that. So um, it's important to, yeah, look at different people and how they've navigated their particular career paths. Um, and we've all got such diverse backgrounds and circumstances that everyone's path is probably going to be a little bit different in any case. I think it's quite interesting too, like the more kind of academics that I meet in people really seeing how varied even the way they've done their masters and PhDs. Uh, you know, like, you, you know, yours is in education and career development. I know Rasheen, um, who's head of Melbourne University, her master's was in sexual health, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, so a huge variety of different things that people are doing. I think um, that can sometimes be something that limits people too, thinking that it has to be solely, you know, very dental related. But if you just look at mm-hmm. even just and Roisin as two examples or looking at Mario and I can never pronounce his last name surely you can say it um oh remember. Mario from Portugal yeah yeah I just always stuff up his last name and Fidor one of my Portuguese friends laughs at me when I say it so I can't say it um but <laughs> he's, he's done psychology and you know and that's the the realm he's gone into so really like just you know from the handful of people I know that have done PhDs personally it's been so different in the variety and I think that's something to really recognize that you don't it doesn't have to be a clinical like very clinical or very dental related it can be really wide well and two it it doesn't need to be a PhD so the examples you've just given yeah we we have gone on and we've we've achieved PhDs which is is great for the profession but 
I think for people that are embarking on, you know, an alternative type career, like you don't have to think, oh, I have to keep aiming for that level above. Sometimes it might be going back and getting, you know, a diploma or a certificate or even just a CPD course to give yourself that extra knowledge or skills or whatever it is to steer your career in a bit of a different direction. So you don't need to keep, I guess, yeah, aiming for more difficult types of education, Um, particularly if you're looking at an outside discipline like sexual health or psychology, you know, you might want to start smaller um, and check that it's the right thing for you. How did you, like, how did you decide, like, what courses to take and, and which path to go on? Oh, probably different reasons for different things. So at times it was the encouragement of someone else. So it wasn't even necessarily that I was looking to do study, but someone sort of tapped me on the shoulder and went, oh, I think you should do a bachelor's degree or I think you are the right sort of person to do an honours degree. Um, And there was those sort of experiences. Um, And, of course, I guess a bit of a interest myself, otherwise I I wouldn't have pursued it, but it took someone to sort of tap me on the shoulder a bit. Um, By the time I did like my master's in education, it was really about thinking about where I wanted my career to go Um, and I really wanted to be taken seriously as a a dental educator um, and someone much more senior than me at um, a university said, you know, if you want to be taken seriously, you really need some postgraduate qualifications in education. Um, But it took me a while to shop around and find what was right for me because I wanted to have that major that made it really meaningful for me. Um, And when I saw the career development, that just ticked all the boxes because I thought, you know, that's a space that we need someone in dentistry um, to fill that space um and nobody else seemed to be doing it so I was keen to sort of jump in yeah because I think you know what's amazing about that Mel is that like I feel like we kind of look at things and like oh it's so big or somebody else is doing it somebody can do it better than I am as you're like looking to start something new Mm -hmm. but oftentimes like you know you just look at the profession and you're like, well, yeah, nobody's doing this and you're identifying a need for it and you're going for it. But like, I I feel like sometimes people just get into that headspace of like imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. and they're like, oh no, I can't do that. So I think it's uh, like just the way you're sharing your story. I want to just raise awareness for people who are listening right now that like, don't think you're not enough or don't think you know, somebody else is doing something and it'll stop you from it because everybody has their own brain and their own way of looking at things and your perspective might might not be the same as somebody else's and you could bring something beautiful to the table because of that. So I, I just wanted to make that point because I think it's amazing, you know, your story and I just know my how my brain works and I wanted to share that yeah. if anybody else would possibly feel the same way. No, definitely. And I think, yeah, all throughout my career, I've I guess, had people say to me, oh, you know, it's amazing, you know, all the things that you've done. And I'm like, I just put one foot in front of the other and kept kept moving. Do you know what I mean? So I I don't think, um, yeah, like you said, you don't need to think it's this big mountain that you've got to climb. You just have to have an interest and, and want to do something. And sometimes it's even about doing something even when you're not really sure what the next, you know, logical step is. Like when I first started um, doing my PhD, someone said to me, you know, this is sort of the pathway to academia. This is how, you know, if you've got a PhD, you tick a box and 
you know, that means that you're someone that, you know, would be appointable in academic positions. And I thought, oh, well, that's all well and good, but all the people I know at this university, they don't look like they're going to retire anytime soon. And at the time I had a young child and I didn't want to move, so I was like, oh, okay, like I'm interested in the PhD, I'm going to do it, but I don't really see like where the door's going to open. And then all of a sudden doors did open. Someone unexpectedly retired, someone else moved on, a program restructured. And so I think sometimes it's about doing things because of the interest and because you want to better yourself and then the doors will actually start to open. Um, And there's a whole realm of theory behind career development which looks at things like, yeah, making the most of opportunities that are unplanned. And I think too if you're enjoying something, like it it does make it a lot easier. Like, do you know what I mean? Like you're then just getting self-fulfillment out of it as well. So, um, you know, and I think that's a big key is finding out what you really enjoy so that mm-hmm. you can do it. Like I, when I first started looking at careers of what I wanted to do when I wanted to do some extra studying and open more doors, I picked a master's in public health, which I converted into a grad cert because I thought I might stab myself in the eye if I finished it. Um, <laughs> I did it so much. <laughs> to all the public health people out there, I love you. Thank you for that really, really important job. But my A-type personality cannot handle things taking so long like I need instant results and public health is not the place where you get them (laughs) Mm -hmm. and but now that I'm doing a different master's at because I really enjoy the content I'm I don't I'm not struggling like I was struggling in the master's of public health like really struggling to get the assignments done to get myself motivated to get through it and I was it was just a chore Mm -hmm. and that's when I was like I have to quit because like this is terrible I'll just get the grad cert tick that box and then move on but now that I'm doing something else that I really enjoy it's not a chore like Mm -hmm. so much easier so I think finding that thing that you enjoy really makes a difference to um if you're doing study (laughs) I know for me it has made a huge difference I have I haven't tried to stab myself in the eye once (laughs) excellent (laughs) sorry to all the public health people out there I think it's a very important job I just do not want to do it Well, and it's lucky we all like different things, right? Um, Otherwise, we'd all want the same jobs and, yeah, life would be a bit boring. Yeah, it would be. And that's it. Like, I think that's just about finding what what you enjoy. Like, you know, for you, career development and education and doing different things, um, it's about finding that path, um, which isn't easy to find sometimes. I think that can be a little bit of a – and seeking help and getting someone – to kind of help you. So what's one of the things that you like? So someone's thinking, I want to leave, like, you know, the opera tree. I want to get out of the clinical setting. What's one of the first things you would say to start thinking about? Um, I think there's sort of three key sort of steps that people need to work through to figure out, you know, where it is they might want to go. Um, the first one is for people to really know themselves. So we've talked a bit about already, you know, finding something that you enjoy Um, But, you know, really looking at, you know, what have you done so far? What's worked? What hasn't worked? You know, um, what are your values? What are the, yeah, the things that you enjoy? Um, You know, what are the things that you really need out of a career? Um, And I think, you know, yeah, looking at your journey, some people can look at, you know, where their career has taken them so far and they can really clearly identify 
oh, I've got strengths here or, you know, I really didn't, um, that really didn't work for me and so I really want to avoid that type of environment or that type of workplace, whereas other people struggle to really look at their own career timeline and pull those things out and that's where they can get some help with someone like a career counsellor. Um, the other thing looking over your history that can be really helpful is then identifying all the transferable skills that you've got. So in terms of trying to find another career, you know, we're all really good with our hands and we're good at communicating with patients and treatment planning and all of those type of things. But we want to find the skills that can take you into, you know, an education role or a research role or a role in industry. And so trying to look through I guess, all the education courses that you've done, what type of skills do you have, um, the different jobs, but even, you know, non-work roles. So those of us that have parents, like lots of us have coached a sports team or volunteered at the school or, you know, many of us have volunteered for our professional association and learnt lots of things as well. So getting to know yourself yeah, looking back at your past and, yeah, trying to determine what those transferable skills. I, we all have them, like communication, good teamwork, um, project management. Um, you know, if you look in, in your history, we, we all have those things that we can take into other careers. So that's probably the first thing, knowing yourself. Um, I think the second thing is to know your options. So like um, we've been talking about already, I, I think people are getting better at knowing what some of the opportunities are out there. Um, like we've said, research, business, industry, education, health promotion, um, public health, if that's your thing or not. <laughs> um, you know, looking at those different sort of spaces, um, you know, thinking about, um, yeah, what sort of careers are out there and reading the stories of others or reaching out to other people and, and finding out a bit about that. And then the last bit is just about, I guess, making a plan. And the plan doesn't have to be, I'm going to chuck my job in and apply for all of these, you know, education roles and, you know, put all my eggs in one basket more or less. But it might be, you know, thinking about what skills and abilities and things that you have, um, who's in your network, um, what extra education can I do? Or can I do something that, you know, Maybe I don't want to sign up for a certificate or a diploma, but maybe I can go shadow someone or observe someone or be mentored by someone and that can open up career pathways as well. So, yeah, for me, those are the three steps people need to go through, knowing themselves, knowing the options and then making a plan. Yeah, and there's definitely, um, like I'm thinking of, oh, I'm getting a mind blank name, Ashley. Because she, she did marketing but went to a dental company and now she's at, an, I think she's at an alcohol-based company now, right? Mm, yes. Yeah, so like, but, like, but, you know, she used those dental skills to go over to sales and then did and then worked her way up there into marketing and then sidestepped into. So she took those dental skills that she had, transferred them into industry and then was able to work her way through doing other things. So, like, there's definitely ways that you can sidestep and move up. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. And that's probably a pretty smart way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because you, you can use those skills while you gain, gain other ones. And especially, you know, one of the benefits of being outside of a small dental surgery is when you get into larger organisations, that ability to have promotions and work your way up 
is much easier and not as, you know, it's, it's not really a thing that we can do that easily inside the dental practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a great point. Cause when we graduate as hygienists, we have a very niche skill, right? And we are expected to then go into the office and provide that skill set for patients. And you start out as, you know, being inexperienced and accept a certain salary due to that. But as you grow, you kind of, you know, hit a ceiling. Mm-hmm. And then once you hit that ceiling, you can continue growing your knowledge and, and expanding your, your clinical skill set and what you're providing for your patient. But your salary is not going to continue to grow with you in most scenarios. Um, so, yeah, that, that kind of I feel like that leaves people who are have that mindset that they continue want to to want to grow and continue to want to do more that they feel hungry or feel like uninspired or this is it for me. I can't get any higher than this. You know, it's a little frustrating. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think that's kind of one of the negative connotations that being in the operatory or the surgery kind of has for clinicians who might have this desire to do more. And then, you know, there's education, as you were saying, there's kind of getting out into the speaking world and sharing, but sometimes that's really not like, those seem to be, at least in in the U.S., like the two tracks that you can kind of go into. Um, And then there's industry, obviously, as well. But, you know, like, what is your advice for somebody who is kind of like that? Maybe they're like, you know, about 10 years into their clinical career, and they kind of come to you, and they're like, I feel like I want more. I feel like I've hit the ceiling in my operatory. I'm really good at it. I'm great at patient care, but I don't know what the next step is. Like, what would your advice be? Um, I guess one of the things to think about is, and I think we struggle a bit with this in dentistry, is dentistry for a lot of us is our dream job. We, you know, have wanted to be a hygienist or a dentist or, you know, whatever practitioner we are. And, you know, it's the dream job. And the minute we, yeah, something shifts and so it might be our musculoskeletal health it might be that financial ceiling it could be a change in workplace dynamics you know all of a sudden we're questioning you know oh maybe this isn't the dream job maybe you know I need to do something else I guess an important point to remember is and I was listening to a podcast a different podcast the other day called the happiness lab um, and they were talking a little bit about you know trying not to focus on the dream job like the chances of all of us having the dream job are you know quite you know small like it's quite difficult to get all the pieces to align what you need is a good enough job and so if you love hygiene like you might have to accept the fact that there's a financial sort of ceiling but if that's not something you're willing to accept if part of your like you know when I look at a job like I want to have more responsibilities or I want to have a higher pay or I want to do those things, then that's when you need to sort of look at, okay, what are my alternatives here? Um, I think the really important part when you're sort of looking at, yeah, what are some of these alternative careers is not to ignore all the stuff outside of the workplace. Um, So, you know, we all have so many things that influence what career choice we make um, and it's not just down to what we like and what we're good at it's down to you know do we have a family like where are we geographically located and are we willing to move um you know um what are my personal beliefs or you know even down to things like race and gender and all those sort of things you know 
play a role in what sort of um, we want to do as part of our career? What educational institutions are nearby or not nearby? Um, what's the employment market like? You know, there's just all these different things that come into play and at different points in your life you might be more willing or less willing to, to look at certain career paths. Um, in in the US, um, I'm not sure how far it is between different, say, dental hygiene schools, but here in Australia, if you work at a university and then for whatever reason decide you don't necessarily want to work at that university anymore, you've got to travel hundreds of, you know, kilometres to, you know, or move interstate to be able to to get a job. And I imagine there's a similar thing in the US that you'd have to pick up and, and move across the country if you if you wanted to do something else. So all of those things like play a part in career decisions. Yeah, yeah. Here in the US, we don't have national licensure. So like if I wanted to leave New Jersey and go teach in, let's say, California, mm -hmm. I need to even apply for a new license. And depending on what they accept and what they don't do, sometimes when you relocate, you have to go back and take your state boards again, mm -hmm. depending on what they have um, the structured because they have what's called license by reciprocity. Some states will accept your education and what your state made you do to attain your license, while others will not. And you actually have to start over again, mm -hmm. not with your schooling, but with your, your taking your boards. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty difficult here. They don't make it easy. <laughs> yeah. So there are these obstacles that are in people's way. And so, it, yeah, it's quite easy for someone to, you know, sit in their dental clinic and go, Oh, I really want to be an educator. But then you start actually looking at it and there's these obstacles and depending on where people are in their life, those things may be negotiable or not negotiable. Um, and, you know, even thinking about like where you are in terms of like the roles you have in your life. So if you're, you know, maybe, a, you know, someone that's been graduated, but you, you have a small family, you have a spouse, you know, maybe you have caring responsibilities for someone, you know, in your family, you know, all of a sudden it can be quite hard to then be able to navigate where you want to move your career. So I think it's important to, two points, I guess, to not focus on it must be the dream job. It can be a good enough job or career, um, but then also not forgetting that work exists inside the life bubble. So you have to think about all the life things when you're making career decisions as well. Sometimes the dream yeah, job is a great. dream job and we'll get it either. <laughs> well, yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, and I both experienced that where you're like, this is the job, I must have it, I'll do everything to get it. And then you get there and you're like, oh, the reality and what I'd painted in my brain, they didn't match. <laughs> Yes, or your personal circumstances change and you go, actually, what I valued five years ago and thought was really important, now I'm here and my personal circumstances are a bit different and my values have changed. And so all of a sudden something that, you know, was your dream job five years ago then isn't. Yeah. yeah. I think that's such an important point, Mel, because like, you know, your personal growth is is huge. And I think you know, I could share from experience, I kind of look at things like that as a failure, but it's not a failure. It's learning, it's growing, it's it's testing the waters, it's seeing what works for you and what doesn't. And all of that is okay. It's so very human mm -hmm. and it's okay to go through all of those things. Mm -hmm. I sent Mel, Mel actually a picture the other day that said quitting is for winners. But <laughs> <laughs> And what they were talking about was that successful people actually know when to quit. 
yes when to walk away when to say this isn't working or this isn't actually what I thought it was going to be and that actually quitting isn't always the negative connotation that we put into our brain sometimes Mm -hmm. saying that five years later well I love this job for five years but now exactly like you said Mel it doesn't fit my values or where I am in my life that's not failing in that kind of quitting that's actually recognizing something and putting a plan and dealing with it and I think we have that's when quitting is like you're winning with that quitting like that's when you're doing the right thing but you do have to be a bit resilient because there are people out there that will think you quitting is something negative that you've yeah that you've quit that you've given up and you have to have a little bit of yeah resilience to go no I've actually made the right decision for me at this point in time and that's okay yeah, because that word just has kind of like a negative connotation to it, right? Mm-hmm. Like quit when you just think about the definition of it, you know, it kind of makes you feel like you weren't good enough or it's not really about like a boundary or, or knowing that you're maybe not aligned with something. It's more like it just has this negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Like the going got tough, so I jumped off the train kind of thing. And I don't think that that's really, you know, a good way to look at it. I think it's, it's, it's much bigger than that. And I think, I think too, we're in a, in an era of our lives where we kind of stand up more for things and it's, we won't just like blindly go into agreement because that's just the way it is. Or, you know, this is, this is how it's always been done. I think we're, especially for us women, we're digging down and we're finding our voices and we're not being so afraid to use them. And I think that that's kind of like a cultural shift as well, where before we were just like, okay, sure. Yeah. That's just the way this is. At least I know for me and the point I'm in, in my life and the generations that I grew up in, like when I first entered dentistry, there was no talking back to the older white male dentist. Like there was no disagreement. And if, even if you saw something that you knew, like textbook wise was a hundred percent wrong, you shut your mouth because that was the doctor. And, you know, I feel like, I feel like Luckily for, you know, generations behind us, they don't have that same kind of um, cultural norm. Mm -hmm. So I feel like for somebody in in the place that I'm in phase I am in my life, like to be able to open my mouth and say, hey, you know what, this really isn't working. And it was it's bigger than me. Mm -hmm. right like it's 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 not just like the situation I'm in it's it's for the ability to to open up and use your voice and politely say I disagree and this is why Mm -hmm. you know so I think it's 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 kind of I think there's a a big emotional piece that's connected to that depending on like you know your age and and your previous work experience and, and the situations that you've been in so I love the fact that when you're talking about career development Mel you're like it's so multifactorial there's so many different things that you really have to have this like panoramic view of your life and, and do kind of like this deep dive into self-reflection and like, what do you want to do? You know, where do you want to go? And and what do you want to contribute to this, this yeah. crazy world we live in? Like, how do you bring like your, your, in your corner of the world, how do you bring goodness to what you want to do? You know, so there's a lot of pieces to it and it's okay for it to kind of be a lot. I think it's important to recognize that. Definitely. And I think that was one of the reasons too why I wanted to set up the support service because having studied career development, I know that there's actually, like when we study dentistry, there's a lot of theory behind, you know, the advice that we give people. Um, And I'll, I'll admit that, you know, part of me has been a bit frustrated over the years that, you know, some people in our profession think they can just 
you know, stand up on a stage and talk about career development without actually understanding like all the different theories and things that underpin what career development is. And I think, you know, insights on, you know, personal experiences of people I think are important to share, um, you know, sharing those career stories and the different career paths is really important. I think mentoring others in, you know, if you've got a specific interest, so like I work in education, so I really like mentoring new educators as they come through. I think that's all good, but I I get a bit frustrated around that career development piece and people going, oh, I'm going to provide, you know, information or advice about career development. It's like, hmm, like dentistry, there's all these theories and they, they sit around the fact you know, that it is so multifactorial, it is so complex, you know, it's not just looking at a job in isolation from the rest of your life, you need to think about, yeah, everyone's, you know, individual and societal circumstances and, um, you know, their life roles and, um, you know, all those other different types of things. So yeah, that was part of why I set up the the career service. And um, yeah, it is so complex when you drill down and start to think about it and I think we come from um, generations as well like where our parents had like one career and now like that's very different and I don't know what the stats are but I feel like this is something you know Mel like what are the stats on like career change and and jobs and stuff now yeah I'm trying to um, remember what the exact um, statistics are I want to say it's something like graduates these days will have 15 jobs and seven careers or something like that. It might be more jobs, but it's about seven careers. It's like it's a gobsmacking statistic. If I can, um, I'm sure it's in a past presentation I've given, so I'll find it and you can put it in the show notes if you want. But, yeah, it's it's very surprising. Like my, my dad worked the same job his whole life. Like I think he worked for the same company for over 50 years and then that was it. Like that's pretty much unheard of these days. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think our parents, even if they changed jobs, their careers were the same. You know, it's just maybe changing a company or or something like that. Um, you know, all of our parents took long service leave in Australia, you know, after 10 years, you get that. Now, you know, lots, it's more kind of rare when you hear of someone going, oh, you got long service leave. Wow, you stayed there that long. <laughs> like, like, you know, it's, we do move around a lot, a lot more and, and reinvent ourselves. So I think but that's also a really cool thing because I think it's so much more socially acceptable now to have that career change. Yeah, and that's what I was just going to say. So going back even, I would say, you know, the start of my working life, it was really frowned upon to have multiple jobs yeah. on your resume. People sort of looked at it like, oh, you know, is there something wrong with you because you keep moving around into different jobs? Whereas, you know, in the space of 20 years, that's shifted immensely and now, you know, people have a career story and they can sort of talk about, okay, well, I might have only been in this role for a year, but this is what I brought to the role and this is what I gained from the role and this is how I can use it to, you know, those transferable skills again, following you through um, the different roles. And, yeah, like you said, Tab, it's so much more acceptable to have multiple jobs. People don't frown on that anymore. Yeah, and I think, you know, we people climb and, and get promotions so therefore you're changing jobs and changing roles and yeah that that way it's kind of exciting that we're not expected just to be in this or your picture box now you're stuck with it (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> like, and so Mel, I know you, and Mel has a 22. It's 20, she's 22 now. Is that correct? 22. Yeah. I thought I was right. Um, does she take career advice from you? <laughs> or is she a normal person? <laughs> I want to hear from you. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I think she's sort of, um, she's figured out some of it on her own, I think. Um, I think she was a bit, um, what's the word? When she, when she went to the university open day, she was interested in those degrees where they were telling her there would be jobs. So I think she was most interested in, I want a job when I graduate. And so she sort of got, you know, sucked into the um, the degrees that, you know, were going to produce jobs at the end. So she started a social work degree and then realised very quickly that that wasn't for her um, and has moved on to, to do um, a Bachelor of Arts. And I don't think she does know what her job is going to be at the end but she already knows that you know further education is an option and you know she's looking into different things so um no the the only thing she was very specific about was not getting into um dentistry (laughs) oh my gosh my daughter is exactly the same she is in her her, she just left last night to start her spring semester Mm -hmm. of her first year of college and she would say the same thing. She's like, uh, dentistry is not for me. Don't even talk to me about it. But she also just committed to an art major as well. Mm-hmm. So kindred spirits, your daughter and mine. Yeah. Um, I keep telling her she's looking into like she she's looking at um, digital content creation, uh, graphic design. She wants to get a, a business degree in possibly marketing as well. And I was like, oh, good, you can make graphics for me and I won't have to pay mega bucks. And she's like, I'm not doing anything with teeth. <laughs> But I think that was a really good um, like I've scarred her point, Mel, when you said like she started something and then she realized it wasn't her and she liked it. I think sometimes that happens to us too. Like you've got to kind of try something to know whether you'll like it or not because you don't really know what it's going to be like. Like I've told this story on the podcast before how I left high school and went straight to a law degree. And when I got there, I was like, oh, my God, it's nothing like law and order. Now, you know, we all laugh because obviously how dumb was I? But I was 17. Mm-hmm. I had no life experience. I didn't know what being a lawyer was like. I didn't know that it was really boring. Sorry to any yeah. lawyers who might listen to us. But like, <laughs> I got there and I was like, oh, God, no, I hate it. Um, but I could have never found that out without trying. Yeah, and, and I, I was the same. I... You know, I don't think it was the year after high school, but it was pretty soon after I started a teaching degree of all things, um, but primary school teaching. So I actually enjoyed all my classes, learning about, you know, how people learn um, and then got into a classroom full of 30, you know, five-year-olds and went, "Mm, this one's not for me. Um, And as it was, ended up you know, working in a dental clinic and then going on to do oral health and then coming back full swing and getting back into teaching again. But I think, you know, adults that choose to come and be educated is um, my area of interest, not five-year-olds. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but you just it's amazing how, like, you, you – I'm sorry, Tab. It's, it's amazing how, like, you – that's what you went to, like, that was your area of interest, and then full circle you come back to it but just in a different manner. I think that there's something to be said about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, adults and children, I much prefer to teach the adults too. I don't think I could handle Oh, same. <laughs> same. Even when kids are on my schedule in the office, I just kind of like, I, I like them and I can make it work, but I'm just like, oh. I, 
I just left specialist practice and went back to general practice. And um, it was quite funny in the interview, the dentist said to me, oh, um, you probably won't get to see any kids because the OHTs will see them. And I said, thank you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, I didn't know if you'd be upset. I was like, no, you made my day. Yeah. I was like, thank you. <laughs> Again, but we've all got different likes and different things that, yeah. you know, encompass yeah. what is our, you know, the job that will, you know, make us happy and, yeah. We yeah. all like, you know, what it's, we all wouldn't get to work in those jobs and half of us would be miserable. So, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I wanted to touch on how you had said a few times transferable skills. Like, I think that people don't even realize that some of the things they do in their day to day life could then be something that you could put on your resume. Um, like just, you know, moms, for instance, and scheduling, like, mm-hmm. you know, Tabitha, for example, like when she's traveling and the things she's got to put into place, it's almost like the game of Tetris when we were kids, like this goes here, this goes there, that goes there. And all these things need to be in alignment for her to go off and, you know, do her presentation and come back and resume family life. Mm -hmm. So like, could you kind of just discuss some of these transferable skills for our listeners who might not even realize like they have them? Yeah. I don't know if I can use that as a transferable skill. (laughs) (laughs) I'm raising my family. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think, um, transferable skills are really anything that you can take from one job to another. Um, and even, you know, from the moment you leave university, you probably have a bunch of transferable skills because, um, you know, you learn to use the computer and the internet and different programs. Um, and then when you're in practices, you're using different programs as well. So there's, you know, there's IT and those digital literacy skills, um, that can be transferred from one job or career to another. Um, Things like uh, communication skills. So on a daily basis, we're communicating with not only people within our team, but with our patients and clients that come and see us. And some of those patients and clients, you know, we're required to have quite difficult conversations with. So, you know, that's definitely a plus moving in and around different careers and jobs. Things like problem solving and critical thinking. Um, So, you know, on a day-to-day basis, we're problem solving and critical thinking with our patients. Um, So that's something that can be applied to to any sort of um, career. Um, Thinking more of, you know, outside the dental clinic. Um, Like I said before, if you're a mom or a dad or, you know, even an auntie or an uncle or a grandparent and you've volunteered at a school, you know, there's probably a whole range of things you've done. I used to sit down at my daughter's school and help the kids that were, you know, struggling to to read, um, to read simple books so they would get some extra reading practice. Um, So there was that sort of skill, you know, working in a, you know, I guess a, a teaching or an education type capacity um you know coaching coaching sports teams um again you have the communication skills you have the problem solving skills you might have time management type skills um really if you look at any sort of I think job that you've held or role that you've had in life you can probably find a whole stack of transferable skills and when you look at the data that says you know what are the skills employers are looking for Um, And this is, you know, broadly speaking, not just, you know, in dentistry, 
but they're not looking for discipline specific skills. They're looking for these transferable skills. So like, you know, your critical thinking, your problem solving, your ability to work in a team, you know, we're all working as part of a team. Um, if you've recently done, you know, some education or whatever, you might've worked in a team as part of group work. Um, you know, there's just so many different transferable skills that you can can use. And I think one of the important things too is is that you write your resume to really highlight that and that you don't just write a resume. Like so if you've been working in the clinical thing and you're going for a job outside of, don't hand in your clinical resume that highlighted all your clinical skills. Write a new resume that highlights your transferable skills that relate to that. So you might have more than one resume going at once so that you've got the right resume for the right job. Yeah, and I think too, if you're starting to look at, well, how can I develop some of my transferable skills? The other thing you can look at is, you know, um, what things can you do in your clinical environment that can develop some of those? So for instance, if you're bringing on, you know, new staff members, maybe you can volunteer to be the person that trains those people so that you're developing some of those transferable skills. Or um, oh, I had another one that's just like slipped like right out of my mind. Um, but you might but be yeah, in charge can... of quality control at the practice as well. Like that's a transferable skill. Like if you oversee like, you know, um, procedures and policies, like a lot of mm -hmm. hygienists and take on other responsibilities inside the clinical practice. I know I do a lot and I know a lot of my friends do where, you know, you overtake going, well, I'm going to oversee sterilisation and make sure all our policies are up to date. So therefore you're looking at policies and procedures and, and things. And that's a really big transferable skill as well, knowing how to implement mm -hmm. a policy. Yeah, no, definitely. Mm -hmm. And, and the, the other one I was going to mention was around, you know, a lot of us volunteer some of our time for our professional association and there's a great way to develop some transferable skills. So, you know, if you're not sure what you want to do, um, you can volunteer and it doesn't even have to be your dental hygiene association. It can be a community organisation or, you know, um, your school's, um, you know, parents committee, you know, those type of things. You know, you can develop so many of those communication, governance, um time management, all of those type of skills as well. Yeah, 100%. Um, so we're going to put your website in the show notes today as well so that everyone can check that out because I think it can feel really overwhelming and having someone to guide you through those steps can really help. I know um, a friend said to me before I started my business, what are you doing like with mm -hmm. your life? Mm -hmm. Why do you? hard have you got an end goal are you like what are you doing with this and I was like oh I don't know I hadn't really thought and and so then I it actually just triggered me to have a little bit of a thing and then I was like I'm going to start a business and so, yeah. <laughs> but like like a simple conversation helped me so much mm -hmm. with going what am I doing <laughs> yeah but it's also okay not to know. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like so often we create like a, you know, some of us create a one-year or a five-year plan or whatever else. How often in five years do you actually get where you thought you were going to be? Like if someone said to me at the start of my career, oh, this is where you're going to end up in 15 years' time, I would have just laughed at them, um, you know, just had no idea that that was the path that I was going to follow. Um, and even probably two years ago had no idea that this was going to be where I landed 
today. So I think it's okay to be comfortable with not knowing, but I think what's important is that, um, you know, if you're not exactly where you think you do want to be to make some small steps to, you know, create opportunities for yourself so that if a door does open, then you've developed some of those transferable skills or you've thought about what your values are or you've went and observed someone that works in industry to see what it is that they do and you feel like you're prepared to then take on the next step. Yeah, I think that going to see is a really important step because like we've said lots of times, your perception of what a role is and the reality of what a role is can sometimes be so far away from each other. And I even know that like with with the work that I've done with AMS, you know, obviously what I post on social media is the fun stuff. Like, you know, we're jumping on a plane and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But we don't Mm -hmm. usually show me on my hands and knees trying to get a compressor that's not working to go and a machine that, you know, doing this and, you know, that we've got up at 4am and we went to bed at 10pm and, you know, and all the crappy stuff that went on behind the scenes that doesn't really get shown. So I think it's really easy to be like, wow, that job's super glamorous. Mm -hmm. But, you know, realize that I'm like, why does this compressor not work on my hands and knees underneath the table going, is my skirt covering my butt? (laughs) 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 That's not the glamorous side of that role. And, um, you know, sometimes seeing the whole role isn't what you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it is really important. I think, going to say, saying to someone you know could I come have a look you talk to me more about exactly what the role is like mm-hmm. it, it's good to get those big understandings because it's sometimes from the outside looking in something can look really shiny and wonderful and when you get mm-hmm. there it's not shiny and wonderful it's just not your shiny and wonderful yeah yeah definitely yeah. definitely yeah because you know it's different for everyone I'm sure mm-hmm. that, like how many times does a patient say to you this is the worst job I can think of. <laughs> yeah, it's a very good point. You know what I mean, like, and where they're going, this is great. You've got so much calculus and having the best day of my life. <laughs> like, yes. And like, this is the grossest thing ever. So, um, and I think that's like, you know, it doesn't mean it's not a great job. It just has to be, or, you know, or, or something you'd be happy with. It just has to be what you'd be happy with. And it's different for all of us. Mike mm-hmm. usually yeah. spoke to that patients when they say that is a, oh, it, if it's appropriate with the patient, I sometimes say There's, this is one of the better holes to be working in. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's where my brain goes. There's a lot more disgusting places where I could be. <laughs> I don't want to be. But, um, you know, it's different for everyone. You know, I think being a podiatrist is the worst job I could think of in my life, touching people's mm-hmm. toes. But for other people that... We have to start recording. I've got friends. That are, we have- sorry. I'm sorry. I was just going to say we should start recording like visually so people could see our faces yeah. when we have these discussions. <laughs> it's just all about seeing what is your your fit because I'm sure there's lots of people that um, look up to you, Mel, and think, wow, look at that job. But then the reality of, you know, it's not just teaching, the reality of the, the, the organization behind and all the things that go there. It's not for everybody. It's not, it's hard. You know, you're at a desk a lot and change your mm-hmm. computer a lot. <laughs> Yeah, but that then that's where that whole, I guess, thought of, you know, the dream job versus the good enough job, like, gives yeah. me a bit of comfort because I'm like, okay, there are times where 
this job that maybe I thought was the dream job, you know, doesn't feel like the dream job. Like I'm doing, you know, boring administrative work that I think, oh, you know, I could be doing something so much more exciting or meaningful or, you know, yeah. um, you know, aligned to my values and things like that. But then I think, well, I do get to teach the students and I really enjoy all the interaction I have with the students and my job pays pretty well and the hours are pretty flexible and, you know, I get to go to conferences and things like that as part of my job. So, you know, like when I look at the whole package, it's more than just, you know, what I'm doing between nine and five, it's all those other things. And so I think that's probably another thing that's really important for people to way up because you can get stuck in oh this isn't this isn't as exciting or as fun or you know as I thought it would be but look at the whole um the yeah. whole cream package I suppose and I think um one of the benefits of being able to change jobs more now too is like more people like Melissa and I we like change like mm-hmm. I get really get bored like I'm someone that's like all right I've mastered this let's move on mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> yeah that's one of the things that I actually love about clinical hygiene is that like on the hour, every hour, it, you, you might be doing the same thing, but every human you see has different needs. Yeah. And I think that there's something to be said about that, you know, um, the fact that you're kind of always on your toes. And if you look at it, that it's like, oh, I'm just, I'm just doing the same action over and over again. But no, you have every human that comes to you is going to have a different way, a different communication style, a different you know, medical history, a different oral situation, a different motivation to get them, you know, from disease to health. So, and, and you have to look at too, are you a people person? Mm-hmm. Like, do you, are you okay sitting behind a desk all day or do you need that human interaction? Mm-hmm. You know, those are so many things that I don't think we always look at. And, and I love, you know, your approach to this Mel. like your, your first thing was like, there's three things you got to know, you know, and, and really kind of dissecting it and diving into it. I don't think that we give it that much thought. At least I know I haven't in the past, mm-hmm. you know, I was just always like, I didn't really have this plan. It was just a growth and a progression and like, you know, like, okay, I've achieved here. I've done really good here. What's the next thing? And, you know, like even when I first got into to speaking, it wasn't because like I aspired to be a speaker. Mm-hmm. I really didn't look at that as a career path. I was actually absolutely terrified of it, but I had this pull on my heart that I was working in this implant arena and struggled so much. And when I finally found the thing that stopped me from struggling, I was like, I got to sing this from the rooftops because I couldn't be the only person struggling. Mm -hmm. Hence how Tabitha and I connected, right? Because she was on the other side of the world having the same experience. So like, you know, I never wanted, I never had that career goal or aspiration to be a, a dental professional speaker, but it just kind of happened and evolved. Right. And so I think there's something to be said about that and, and doing, you know, just kind of like taking risks and doing things afraid, but you don't even know what's going to develop as a result of that. Right. And it's, it's, you know, life is just, it's just interesting and it's, it's nice to have support systems in place and have people that, um, you know, reach out to people on social media that you respect Mm -hmm. because they might turn around and say to you like, Hey, yeah, sure. I was in the same spot as you and here's what helped me. And, 
you know, and, and look at these things and try to find like people that are doing the things that you might be pulled or interested in doing and, and just say, Hey, would you mind, you know, sharing something with me? I, I reached out to people and some people totally cold shouldered me and other people were really kind and said, you know, I don't really have a ton of time, but here's what I can share with you. And, and I think that that's, that's cool because at the end of the day, like, I want to see our profession grow. I want to see us, I know what we can achieve. I, I mean, we can achieve so much more than my brain probably even can, can recognize at this point in time. But if we don't just get out there and try and support each other, we're going to be stuck. We're never going to move the needle on any of that. So, um, I totally did what I normally do and, and jumped like 15 topics in one response. So I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. I, um, I totally encourage people to just reach out to, I guess, random, you know, people that they, yeah, might've just seen on social media or heard about through a third person or, whatever, because I, I say to them, you know, what actually is the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen probably is that you'll just get the cold shoulder, like you won't get a reply. Like right. nobody's going to be nasty right. and reply to you. Um, you know, the worst that can happen is that you won't get a response. The best that can happen is that they will respond to you and they will want to help you even if it's in a very small way. And so, yeah, I totally encourage people to to reach out to others. And, I mean, I think for the two of you, like, your perfect examples of how, um, you know, if you're looking for a bit of a career change, there's like completely different things that, you know, as someone that would like counsel or support you, you know, you have completely different things. Like Tab, you were sort of saying you get bored easily and you want change. And so, you know, I'd look at, you know, what what has worked in your career or what would you absolutely not want to do again? And, you know, the things that worked, what bits of those things worked to help you think about, you know, what could be the next step. Whereas, Mel, you were sort of saying, you know, about how much you love that clinical environment. So I think, you know, wherever your career takes you, you know, it's got to be tied to that clinical aspect because you're so passionate when you talk about it. I can't imagine, you know, you finding something where, you never got to see a patient again, like, you know, so it's just, I think when you're talking to people about careers, I, I said it earlier and you've already alluded to it, Mel, but, you know, it's so complex and everyone's story is going to be completely different. And the thing that works for Tab or works for Mel or, you know, works for anyone else isn't going to work for another person because our stories are so different. Our journey to this point is so different all the things that are influencing our career decisions are different. And so um, it really, it isn't a one size fits all when it comes to like career development stuff, but like the more resources you have available to people, then at least they can start to explore options, explore themselves, um, and then reach out when they know what it is that they want to, to discuss. And I think you've made some really good points as well, but I think that I would like the listeners to really make sure they take in is that you don't have to compare yourself to other clinicians, like what they're doing. Yeah. So if you're happy working five days clinically and that's where you sit and you say, this is what fits my life, then that's great. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I had um, a clinician say to me when we were at an event, uh, I asked her what she did and she said, oh, I just work clinically. I don't do anything awesome like you. And I said, but working clinically is awesome. Like I still work mm -hmm. clinically. Yeah. But like, don't think because I've chosen to do some different stuff as well that that, that lessens what you're doing. Like I really want um, mm -hmm. clinicians that are listening in the car or on your walk that no matter what you choose, if that makes you happy, then that's the perfect job. Yep. Yes. Right. 
you're happy, it doesn't have to be, like you said at the beginning, that you had to get the PhD or you had to do this. It's different for everybody and not to judge yourself compared to what somebody else is doing in there. Mm -hmm. I think it's really easy to do that sometimes. Like, oh, I should have done this or I should have achieved this by now or, you know, just whatever makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, it'll be different and it'll be different for all of us, you know. I look at it the same as, you know, staying home with your kids. Hats off to all the stay-at-home mothers. I would have had a meltdown by now. <laughs> would have gone well. <laughs> no, same here. I mean, and, and that's one of the things at that phase in my life, I loved the flexibility I had with clinical hygiene yeah. because I could go to work. I can make a good living. And it was like enough time away from them that I could be an adult, but then I could come back and still be a mom. Like it was just, for me, it was a really nice balance. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you can't belittle those things. Like that's, that's a huge, amazing benefit if that's the path you want in life of our profession, Mm -hmm. you know? So, yeah. And often when you talk to people about careers and they're, you know, um, either they're looking to make a change in their current job to make it a bit better, or they're looking for something a bit different, like, one of the strategies you can sort of think about is, you know, like how how would you score your current situation out of 10? And if someone, yeah. you know, says, oh, let's score that a three or a four or, you know, maybe even lower, you're like, okay, well, you know, what would you change? Like what could get it to a six or a seven? And then, yeah. you know, then what could get it to, you know, an eight or a nine? Do you know what I mean? It's going to be really hard to find, you know, that ideal scenario where it's a, a 10 out of 10, but, you know, if you think about it, you know, yeah, where, where am I sitting out of 10 and how can I just make some some small shifts to to improve that? Yeah. Um, you can get a lot more career satisfaction as well. Do you think 10 exists? Uh, yeah, um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I even think about, I was thinking about Beyonce before this podcast um, yeah. and I was thinking about, you know, if you had a 10 out of 10 job, like would Beyonce be the 10 out of 10 job? But I'm sure there's parts of her job she doesn't like as well. So, you know, I, I would say probably not. I think the only 10 out of 10 job I could think of is if I became John Mayer's wife. But <laughs> That's not a job, Tab. <laughs> John Mara, please listen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, I just we both want to thank you for your time. Um, I don't know if you can counsel Tabitha in that avenue of career development. To get to John Mayer. (laughs) I think that I think that's a um a different profession. I don't I don't think that's um, something I can help you with. Damn it. Do you have any events coming up? Um, I'm going to plan some webinars this year. I'm looking mostly at some of those transferable skills type things. So I did one with a colleague of mine last year on project management and had quite a lot of um, good feedback about it. So people hadn't really thought they had project management skills. And the more we sort of talked about it, they were like, oh, okay, this is something I've got. And so maybe some workshops in that space, but then maybe some webinars on other transferable skills. So thinking about things like maybe communication and leadership. Um, my, my day job, my academic jobs kept me insanely busy the first month of this year. Um, so um, I'll put my planning hat on, but I encourage people to reach out as well. Like I really want to support people in the way they need to be supported. Um, and so, you know, if there are 
listeners out there and they're like, oh, I really want to know about, you know, communication or leadership or anything else in particular, like shoot me through a contact message on the website and I'm happy to to put some things together. And when you've got some awesome. webinars up, let us know. We can put them on the Disrupting Dentistry page as well so the listeners can um, find out about them to make it easier. Yeah. We can share them. And we will we'll link your uh, website in the show notes so everyone can go straight to your website from here. Yeah. Well, Mel, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on again and updating us on all the progress you've made since last time. You were like one of our OG interviews when we first started out. So thank you so much. It's always um, amazing chatting with you and learning from you. Um, until next time, everybody, keep on disrupting. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, thank you again so much for tuning into the Disrupting Dentistry podcast. We love to hear from you viewers and we love that you join us for our episodes. Please make sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And leave us a review. We love reading reviews from all over the world. It's one of the things that actually makes all the hard work feel really worth it when we get to see which episodes you're enjoying or some feedback that you give. So leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or write something on our Facebook or our Instagram page. We'd love to hear from you. And thanks so much for listening. Keep on disrupting.